Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show for your daily dive into the news. Buckle up and make sure you're subscribed to the channel because I'll be splitting $10,000 across 10 lucky beautiful bastards this month. And let's just jump into it. Okay, the first thing that we're going to talk about today, it's been a while since we talked about our calm and rational friend, Alex Jones. <laughs> Also, in case you are immune to sarcasm, uh, he is not a friend of the show. I think he is a dangerous, disgusting scumbag. One who many just think is a harmless meme, right? He's, he's talking about chemicals making the frogs gay. But also, he's someone that does disgusting, dangerous things all the time. And in fact, one of those things is why we're talking about him today. Right? He's currently embroiled in the first of three defamation cases brought against him by multiple victims' families. And it's because Jones has been one of the loudest and ugliest proponents of conspiracies surrounding the Sandy Hook shooting. Having said that it was staged with fake kids and parents played by actors, which, to be clear, is complete and total batshit crazy bullshit, just in case that needs to be said. 20 children and six teachers died that day, almost 10 years ago, and their families have been grieving ever since. And the whole thing has arguably been so much worse, so much more difficult because of Jones's lies. As a psychotherapist for one of the victim's families even testified on Monday, saying that their treatment was set back by years and that the father, Neil Heslin, he's had repeated nightmares about Jones and his followers, whom he claims send him death threats and harass him in public. And so the Heslin and the mother, Scarlett Lewis, parents of the deceased six-year-old Jesse Lewis, are seeking $150 million in damages from Jones and his company, with the trials that determine how much you'll have to pay. Now, as far as the defense here, Jones's team has argued that he's since acknowledged that the shooting happened and already paid a price when he was deplatformed in 2018, losing millions of followers. You also had Free Speech Systems, the, the parent company for Jones's Infowars show, filing for bankruptcy last week, and that coming after Infowars itself and two other affiliated business entities did the same last April, delaying the defamation suits. Though many don't think that he is actually bankrupt, and there, there's this whole thing about him being gifted millions in crypto. It's it's a whole mess. But uh, the main thing is that the trial is underway, and if you thought this would be anything short than an absurdist clown show, I don't know what you've been smoking. Tuesday's trial went off the rails, but the lunacy actually started outside the courtroom, with Jones talking about the case just hours before, saying this about Heslin, right, Jesse's father. He is um, being manipulated by some very bad people. I mean, I'll just say it because I gotta be honest. He's slow, okay? I mean, I think Heslin acts like somebody on the spectrum. And so, of course, the prosecution plays that for the jury on Tuesday, and Heslin testified that he's been living in fear. I can't even describe the last nine and a half years of the living hell that I and others have had to endure because of the negligence and the recklessness of Alex Jones. Also breaking down in tears about his lost son, saying that he was real and did live for six and a half years. But I cherish those days. You also had Scarlett Lewis joining in to express her utter bewilderment at Jones. Jesse was real. I am a real mom. And there's nothing that you could have found because it doesn't exist that I'm deep state. I know you know that. That's the problem. I know you know that. And you keep saying it. You keep saying it. Why? Why? For money? I know you believe me. You've also got a lot of people talking about this moment after the judge leaves the room when Lewis hands Jones some water because he had been coughing throughout the day, with Jones then offering to shake her hand and she accepts, with Heslin's lawyer then starting to argue with him about how he called the father slow and autistic, leading to this heated moment. That's not even a thought. That's not the way this goes. Then, at some points, the trial just becomes downright bizarre. Or like one where the judge tells Jones to spit out his gum, to which he replies it's not gum, that he had a tooth pulled and is massaging the spot, and then this happened. So you're chewing on your gauze? Would you like me to show you? 
No, I Fair. just want you to answer my question. No, I, I was massaging the hole in my mouth with my tongue. I'm here, right here. Yeah. I don't want to see right. the inside of your mouth. Oh, no, there's no gum. Uh... <laughs> So the judge chastises him several more times, telling him that he's violated his oath by lying over and over again during the trial and saying, Were you instructed that there were some things you could not testify about? Yes. And do you remember what they were? Yes. And what were they? The document you put out saying, don't talk about free speech, don't, uh, don't say I'm innocent, uh, and, and, and a bunch of other stuff. And then, and then that got withdrawn. You, I believe you withdrew it. I think it's called motion limiting. Okay, so you don't remember. No, no, no. I, I, no. I, I remember currently. Stop. Uh, <laughs> remember day one where I said it's an unfair world and you don't get to interrupt the judge? Do you remember uh, that? Sure. Yeah, okay. But the judge gets to interrupt you. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Um, okay, so you don't really remember what you were not supposed to testify about. That's what I'm hearing. You said, yes, I remember. No, I don't remember. Well, let me, I'm trying to remember. Okay, um, I don't want you to try and remember. No, I, I, I don't want you to try and remember. You either knew or you don't. Watching part of Heslin's testimony when I was coming here and him talking about the bankruptcy, so I thought that was totally fine. I mean, he gets to do Why do I not get to do what he gets to do? Mr. Jones, yeah. stop making, just... Also, regarding lying under oath, yesterday Jones testified that he never discussed Sandy Hook over text. But today we saw this absolutely jaw-dropping moment where one of the lawyers for the parents said they had proof this was a lie, and really, I'm just gonna let the lawyer explain it. So you did get my text messages, and it said you did. Nice trick. <laughs> yes, Mr. Jones. Oh. Indeed. You didn't give this text message to me. You don't, you don't know where this came from. Do you know where I got this? No. Mr. Jones, did you know that 12 days ago, 12 days ago, your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent for the past two years and when informed, did not take any steps to identify it as privileged or protected in any way. And as of two days ago, it fell free and clear into my possession. And that is how I know you lied to me when you said you didn't have text messages about Sandy Hook. Did you know that? My lawyer sent it to you, but I'm hiding it. Okay. Mr. Jones? Please. Mr. Jones, that's just answer questions. There's no question. Mr. Bankston also only asked questions. Sure. And as if that wasn't bad enough, the prosecution also played an Infowars segment in which a voice suggests that the judge here is involved in pedophilia and sex trafficking because she worked for Child Protective Services once. With it displaying a picture of flames appearing to consume the judge, though, Jones claims that it was supposed to be her burning lady justice. But ultimately, that is where we are right now. This is still a developing situation. The, the trial is still unfolding as you're possibly watching this. But it's going to be an important and interesting thing to watch and also see what judgment comes down. You know, just any time we talk about this fucking guy, I just, I have the question in my head that he has even asked himself at times. What is my problem? Ugh. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Keeps. By now, you probably know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time that they're 35. You know, maybe you have that friend or that family member that's dealing with hair loss, and if you don't want that to happen to you, you don't have to just sit around and wait for it. Whether you're looking to prevent hair loss, stimulate hair growth, or just take better care of the hair that you have, Keeps has you covered. Keeps helps you stop hair loss before it's too late with a scientific and affordable approach to treatments that are up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. And in addition to clinically proven treatments, Keeps has an award-winning all-natural 
all-natural thickening shampoo and conditioner system. And you can get all these products delivered directly to your door. That means no more going in person to the doctor's office for your prescription, saving you both valuable time and money. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash DeFranco, or just click that link in the description to receive 50% off your first order. And then let's talk about this bit of entertainment and social news surrounding Beyonce right now that has people split. Some celebrating what she just did, saying this is what people need to do. Others saying this is an example of things going too far and getting ridiculous. And so of course with this, I'd love to know your thoughts. So here's where it starts. Earlier this week, Beyonce opted to change a line in her song, Heated. And that because it used the word spaz. A word that I know growing up, a lot of people, including myself, have said. But recently we've seen disability advocates explaining that the word is ableist. With places like NPR noting that it comes from the term spastic, referring to people with spastic paralysis or cerebral palsy. But noting that it's since evolved into a derogatory term for people with disabilities and has been used to describe weird or uncool behavior usually related to physical movement. So after people heard this word being used in Beyonce's song, a lot of people began calling around, including one advocate who wrote a piece for The Guardian saying, ableist language, intentional or not, has no place in music. Disabled people deserve better. And so in response, we saw a rep for Beyonce releasing a statement saying the word not used intentionally in a harmful way will be replaced. And if this sounds familiar, this is actually the second time this has happened this summer. Right back in June, Lizzo took the word out of one of her songs after facing backlash. But also with this situation, as many who have faced scandal or backlash in the past know, when it rains, it pours. Because this whole situation with Beyonce and changing music, it doesn't end there. Because Beyonce edited a part of her other song, Energy, for an entirely different reason. In that song, Beyonce used an interpolation of the Khalees song, Milkshake, but Khalees spoke out against it, implying that it was used without her knowledge. When someone referred to this use as a collaboration, she wrote, it's not a collab, it's theft. So then you had Beyonce removing that, and then a new version without it's available on certain streaming platforms. But then we're still not done with the news about changes for Beyonce songs. Because while the spotlight's on her for editing two tracks off a Renaissance album, some were like, okay, is this a good time to make some other requests? With that, including Monica Lewinsky, who shared an article about Beyonce getting rid of the ableist word and then wrote, um, while we're at it, hashtag partition. Which if you're not familiar with that Beyonce song, it came out in 2013 and includes the line, Monica lewinsky all on my gown. Which I imagine, if you're Monica Lewinsky, not your favorite song. And of course, with that, you had many supporting her, noting that she essentially was bullied by society for over two decades before more and more people started realizing like, oh, she is a Clinton victim. Mudslinging, the power dynamic, the, the pylon. But also at the same time, Lewinsky has faced some heat over this post. With some asking if she has asked Beyonce directly to do something here, to which Monica said, No, I haven't. I did mention it in the first Vanity Fair article I wrote in 2014, which was the first public thing I'd done in 10 years. But you make an interesting slash fair point. You also had others saying Beyonce's not alone here. Tons of artists have used her name in songs. So much so that she has rap song muse in her Twitter bio. To which Monica explained that this is not the first time she's spoken about the Beyonce lyrics or lyrics from other artists for that matter. And two, the rap muse bit is in her bio just because she deals with this whole ordeal by finding humor in it. So with this, you have part of the Beehive calling Monica out. Then also you have others slamming the beehive for getting into slut-shamey territory with their attacks on Monica, even though they support an artist who preaches about feminism. And so while, of course, I'd love to know your thoughts on any and all individual aspects of what we talked about, all these situations have also opened up a conversation around, is this going too far? By very publicly changing these songs, have they somehow opened up this massive wave of people requesting other edits? With some describing it as treating music like it's a burger that they ordered on Postmates, and then all of a sudden, hey, we want to get rid of pickles and cheese and sub the fries for onion rings. And so yeah, I pass all these questions off to you. Let me know your thoughts. And then let's talk about news about what your portfolio might look like right now. Right, depending on when you got in on things and what the split of your portfolio looks like, that's gonna change how much blood is in the water. Crypto, for example, has been very volatile with Bitcoin and Ethereum having their usual ups and downs. They're both are down for the week, but taking a step back, they're actually up a little bit from their recent lows, though also very far away from their record highs. And it appears that the volatility has led to a massive cooling down of the crypto market, which also makes sense amid news that many trading firms like Three Arrows, Capital, Celsius, and others have recently shut down and lost 
lost customers a ton of money. But also of note, it is not just crypto-based platforms that are being heavily affected by this. But it was just announced yesterday that the stock trading platform Robinhood would be slashing about 23% of its full-time workforce due to sudden downturns in trading, though primarily fueled by a slowdown in crypto. And on top of recent layoffs in April, the company's gonna have to cut more than 1,000 jobs. Active users have also dropped by 34% from last year and revenue fell by 44%. The CEO, Vlad Tenev, saying that changes are needed as the company assumed that the COVID boom would continue. But that's also not the only issue that crypto has caused for the company as New York financial regulators just slapped it with a $30 million fine. And that, not exactly chump change for Robinhood as the company only posted revenue of $318 million. Though, to be fair, Robinhood has been expecting this since at least 2020, which is when an investigation first began into how the company lacked resources in its crypto department's anti-money laundering and cybersecurity program. But also, this $30 million is on top of the other fines they've had to pay since 2020, which now puts the total amount of penalties against the company at over $160 million. And so with all this mess happening right now, it's no surprise that lawmakers are making moves to regulate that market. Right, today, we saw a bipartisan group of senators looking to introduce a bill that would empower the Commodity Futures Trading Commission to regulate digital commodities, which is a new asset class that includes things like cryptocurrencies. And among other things, the bill would require any entity that trades digital commodities to register with the CFTC as trading facilities, dealers, or brokers, subjecting them to greater scrutiny. It would also force platforms to disclose information about their listed assets to protect customers. Right, we're talking about things like conflict of interest. However, with this, not every lawmaker wants as much regulation. Right, back in June, there was a different group of bipartisan senators introducing a bill that would make exemptions for cryptocurrencies and regulations in the tax code. Although, this bill also promoted some regulations to help protect investors from bad actors. And it's also not just the lawmakers that are split here. There's actually been some infighting over who gets to control crypto between various government agencies. Because as the rules currently stand, it's unclear who actually has the power over platforms like Coinbase. The SEC seems to think that it does, having gone as far as suing Coinbase over accusations that seven cryptocurrencies listed on the platform should have been registered as securities. But then, you've got the commissioner for the CFTC accusing the SEC of regulation by enforcement and adding, the SEC is not working together with the CFTC. They go out unilaterally to try to establish precedent that's going to dramatically reshape the landscape as to what's a security and what's a commodity. So it's going to be very interesting to see how all this mess plays out. Because I think most everyone in the space knows that there is some change coming, that this can't be the Wild West forever. What the next steps look like, that's where we're going to see the disagreement and we're going to see who's right and wrong really soon, or at least relatively soon. Now we need to talk about this massive and growing problem for Gen Z and understand it is a problem for many other people, but also alarmingly so for Gen Z. You know, if you've been watching my show for a bit, we've been outlining different trends among those younger than 25 lately. Back in June, for example, we talked about how many of y'all reported feeling anxious, depressed, and having thoughts of self-harm at higher levels in other generations. And now today, we're seeing another new study that possibly gives us insight into one factor that may be contributing to all that stress. With it finding that Gen Zers are accumulating credit card debt almost three times as fast as everyone else. This is in part being driven by the record spike in inflation over recent months, which has naturally compelled people to spend more and therefore take out more debt to cover their bills. And so what we saw is that in the second quarter of 2022, Zoomers saw their credit card balance shoot up 30% compared to the year prior, while the rest of the population only saw theirs go up 11%. With this especially impacting people with low credit scores across all generations. Right, Those with scores under 660 increased their balances by nearly 25% or more than double everyone else. Which, as I'm sure a number of you know, can leave you super fucked. Right, usually the lower that score, the higher the interest rate. And then you start missing payments, it snowballs, it grows, it just, it ruins people. Which, what we're learning is happening to young people the most. With a study finding that the percentage of credit card loans 30 days past due is highest among Gen Z and millennials. Though, on the I don't think there is a bright side, but kind of bright side, it's still below pre-pandemic levels in large part because after COVID hit, people were able to pay down their debt with stimulus checks, savings, and there was a pause on student loan repayments. Which is why you've got the CEO of Vantage Score, the firm that did this study, saying that an extension of that student loan pause would help young people stay afloat. And understand, this problem doesn't just affect Americans, even though we think we're the center of the universe. Right, you've got the UK struggling with record inflation right now, similar to the US, leading to a cost of living crisis. A situation where you've got a 26-year-old biomedical scientist telling the Guardian that he is living paycheck to paycheck, having taken out consolidation loans to beat back rising debt. 
get. And saying it's pretty depressing because I'm just kind of starting my life. I feel like my friends and family are all in a similar situation. This world is not sustainable. And this isn't unique. Nearly half of Zoomers and millennials in the country spend their entire monthly income on living costs. And two out of every five have taken on more work to make ends meet. So the two things that I want to end this story on. One, if you're Gen Z or a millennial, does this hit home right now? I'd love to talk about this as a group in those comments down below. And two, remember that the Philip DeFranco show will always be here for free 99. And then, y'all, language is important. Some would say, muy importante, molto importante, or hijo ni julio. You know, recently I've started trying to learn Spanish again as part of my new goals to better myself. You know, I failed Spanish twice in high school and it's something that has always bothered me. In school, I just never got a grasp of it. But now, thanks to Rocket Languages and more specifically, philspeakspanish.com, that's where you're gonna wanna go. I feel like I'm on a strong path. And it's built around whatever learning style you have. Are you a visual learner? Covered. Auditory learner? Awesome. And the way it's built, it's so easy to squeeze into my day, whether I only have five minutes or 45. If I want to work on a computer or on my phone, boom, it's there. And while I initially started on other apps, I came here because it just feels like it, it's actually setting me up for success in everyday conversations, right? Actual interactions, not like my horse wants apples. Although I guess that's necessary for some people. You know, being able to say things like, uh, quiero un café con azúcar y leche if I'm ordering a specific coffee. Or quiero que te sientes en mi cara, por favor, when you meet a new stranger that you want to know better. And ultimately, not only are they a sponsor, not only have I teamed up with them at philspeakspanish.com. If you go there or click any of these philspeaksinsertlanguages.com, right, because you also have Mandarin Chinese, German, French, Arabic, Russian, Portuguese, Japanese, Korean, Italian, sign language, and more. But if you go to any of those sites or you click the links in the description down below, not only can you start a free trial version of the course that is yours forever without even entering in a credit card. If you sign up using my link, you'll get fucking 60% off. So get in on it now and start opening up a whole new world today. And then for you old school beautiful bastards, you might remember the phrase, all roads lead to Kansas. Well, that used to be in reference to the vampire robot Nazis who are also zombie apocalypse, which is possibly the most random bit in the history of the show. Today, all roads lead to Kansas because a massive thing just happened. With yesterday, the people of Kansas voting overwhelmingly against an initiative that would have removed abortion protections from the state's constitution. And this is incredibly major because it represents the first time the issue's been put before voters since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Right? This was the first real test of what people actually want, not just the, the personal beliefs of nine politically appointed God Kings. And the people of Kansas sent a powerful fucking message about the popularity of this issue. So much so that Dems should maybe want this issue on the ballot. Since obviously people are very passionate about this issue while it may be not being super excited for Dem candidates. Or because the appeal of the Democrats for maybe a more moderate voter, I think Michael Che put it well, he once said that Democrats are like condoms. Not excited about them, but it feels like the safer option. But that's talking about the Democrats problem as we get to the actual midterm. And more important to the story today, with 95% of the votes counted as of recording, people in Kansas Kansas resoundingly rejected the ballot measure by a huge margin of 58.8% to 41.2%. And it's not just the split that matters, it's the location that matters. Kansas is a very conservative state and one that has long running deep ties to the anti-abortion movement. And you have others saying another notable thing is that Republicans actually tried their damnedest to make this vote swing in their favor. And saying that one of the ways they did that was trying the oldest trick in the book, confusing people into voting for their platform. But the actual question presented to voters on the ballot asked them to vote either yes or no on allowing state lawmakers to quote, pass laws regarding abortion, including but not limited to laws that account for circumstances from rape or incest or circumstances of necessity to save the life of the mother. With people arguing that the phrasing there makes it seem like a yes vote would allow for more abortion protections, when in actuality it would replace the right to abortion that was already protected by the state's constitution, thus giving lawmakers the power to impose restrictions or a total ban. Beyond that, voters in Kansas also reported receiving incredibly deceptive text messages the day before the election and even on election day, with that unsigned message reading, women in Kansas are losing their choice on reproductive rights. Voting yes on the amendment will give women a choice. Vote yes to 
protect women's health. When, once again, a yes vote would literally do the opposite. So already incredibly sketchy and even more sketchy due to the fact that it was totally unclear what group sent the text. Though you do now have the Washington Post reporting that the messages were sent by a Republican PAC run by a former hardline GOP congressman from Kansas. Why try when you can lie, I guess. You know, like I've been saying here since Roe was overturned, it's gonna be very interesting to see how this affects the midterms. But as I saw the Associated Press explain, while there was just one state, the heavy turnout for an August primary that typically favors Republicans was a major victory for abortion rights advocates, with the turnout approaching what's typical for a fall election for governor. And you got pollsters saying that it shows that abortion is an issue that can actually mobilize a Democratic base in a very difficult election year for the party. Now, does that mean I think they can hold on to the House and the Senate? Not necessarily. Polling shows that the Democrats might be able to hold on to the Senate, but holding the House, it's a long shot. The place is like 538 saying that Republicans have an 80% chance of taking the House. But also, as we've seen in the past, whether it goes left or right, these polls change. How people vote can be different. And while we don't know right now what will happen, the stage is being set right now. And then we should talk about how massive public shaming seems to have actually worked. Right last week, we covered how Senate Republicans surprise blocked the PACT Act, a bill that would significantly expand healthcare access for millions of veterans who were exposed to burn pits overseas. With burn pits being holes that the military would dig into the ground outside military bases so they could fill them up with waste, douse it in jet fuel, and set it on fire, with the resulting fumes causing respiratory problems, rare cancers, and other medical conditions for many returning service members. And while since 25 Republicans flipped their support for the bill last week, which previously they had voted for. At least 60 veterans groups have been camping outside the Senate in protest, with some of them literally sleeping on the hard concrete steps, even despite the heat, humidity, and occasional thunderstorm. And of course, as always, you could expect Jon Stewart to be there with them over the weekend, lambasting lawmakers for stalling. You know, we tried to get it yesterday, and they said, well, nobody gets back, really, on Monday. Well, we don't have much time, because they're all leaving on Thursday. What about Tuesday? Well... Republican lunches and the Democratic lunches at 12 and then I guess the nap probably around 130 and then they all watch people's court that takes them till four like what is happening here? With those who had flipped their votes, spouting this and that version of misinformation. But uh, apparently they did find some time to put down their pudding cups because on Tuesday, the Senate finally gave in to the pressure. Passing the PACT Act 86 to 11, they actually got two more yes votes than it got during the first Senate vote. And as far as who still voted no, you had Republican Pat Toomey, who notably led the opposition, also probably voting no because the Senate rejected his proposed amendment, which he said sought to stop funding for the bill from being used for unrelated Democratic priorities. So there, the bill's supporters have denied that claim and Toomey hasn't really given any evidence that would happen. You also had Rand Paul voting no, uh, seemingly because he thinks that veterans are going to lie. This bill puts our economy, though, at risk by creating presumptions of service connection for the most common availments. For example, this legislation creates a presumption of service connection for Vietnam veterans for hypertension. But according to the CDC, 50% of men and 44% of women in the United States have hypertension. More than 60% of people over the age of 60 have hypertension. In total, the CDC estimates that 106, estimates that 116 million Americans have hypertension. The legislation also creates a presumption of service connection for global war on terror veterans for asthma. The CDC estimates that one in 12 people have asthma which is approximately 25 million Americans. Like, I just love that he's like, I support the troops, even though they're fucking liars. How do we know they're telling the truth? What, just because they gave us their bodies, we have to take care of them later? But main thing here, it's signed, it's done, it's headed to Biden's desk, he's gonna sign it into law. And hopefully at the end of the day, because Congress finally did what should be the easiest fucking thing to do, it's gonna help some people who were fucked over by the government. And truly, I just hope this does some good for them. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. Thank you for watching, subscribe, 
subscribe and being a part of that conversation down below. If you're looking for more news, I got you covered right here. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.